0: Let's open the Bible for a few minutes together. We're going to be in John chapter 1. You kind of have a a unique thing that happens in a family dedication service like this because you, it's that overlap that I spoke of in the very beginnings uh, tonight of the, you have the, like the biological family and you have the spiritual family, so to speak. You have the, you know, the, the relatives and then you have the church folks and, um, all kind of under one roof, and it's a special thing for me to be able to to see those all those worlds like kind of coming together in a really awesome way for these kids to have uh, so many people that love them and are, and are called to them in the same room. It's amazing, and you we have to recognize that that God has uh, strategically woven together this tapestry for each one of these kids. And for each one of us uh, it's not just about them it's about us as well he's constantly like weaving our lives together to form this amazingly beautiful uh, work of art in our relationships and they're all done with such purpose by our God and it's just amazing to be able to come together and celebrate that tonight in um, in John chapter 1 we see uh, there's this this passage we're going to look at for a second, and um, it's really not about parenting, but I'm going to make it about parenting, if that's all right. Uh, and, and I don't think it's a stretch, because I believe that there's something really, really important that we see here from John the Baptist in this text. But I don't want you to check out if you're not a parent. So I'm not a parent. So I know what it's like when, when you have grown up in church, and they have all these series on marriage and family and stuff like that. And if you're not married or have a family, then you're like, what... You know, throw me a bone, dude. Come on. You know, like, what's the deal? And I remember sitting there and I remember just kind of not paying a lot of attention. While I will address some things to parents, we have to understand that as a part of that tapestry, everything the parents are trying to learn about parenting and raising kids and that kind of stuff, all of us are called to learn as well. It's just as relevant for the grandparents and the aunts and uncles and the people in the community group and the people who who watch them in the nursery and just the part of just interacting all the time. All of us have a vested interest in these kids. That's why we all got around them down here. And so I'm going to speak to the parents, but please, no matter what your status would be in relation to like these kids or your own kids, let's all just let's receive for a few minutes maybe what God wants to speak to us using John the Baptist as an example for us. So John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he plays an, just this incredibly important role in the story of God. And so I just want to take a few minutes to see what we can learn from him. So we're in John chapter 1. We'll put the verses on the screen. Um, and so this is, what the, this is what the Scriptures tell us. I'm on the wrong page. There we go. It says, And this is the testimony of John. It's verse 19. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So it's a little, you know, little story. There's no, you know, parenting wisdom tucked away in there. There's nothing uh, that's really um, ex- exclusively about that. But we see something about John that I think all of us as Christians. Uh, so if you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, I think there's something about him that we need to model our lives after and continue to try and become. And and that is that he had this really solid sense of identity. That he wasn't just kind of just going through life, not really caring about stuff, just kind of doing whatever he wanted. If you know anything about John the Baptist, you know he was kind of a kind of a unique character. You know he dressed kind of funny and had a weird diet and uh, preached a lot of things that got him you know in some trouble and that kind of stuff. And he wasn't he wasn't a mega church pastor or anything like that. He was kind of kind of an odd guy. But he knew exactly who he was. And so in the beginning of the of the story there, we see in verse 19, um, it says they come to him and they want to know who he is. And, and you may notice that they keep asking him, oh, are you this guy, are you this guy, are you this guy? They say, are you the, are you the Messiah, are you the Christ, are you the one that every uh, Jew in Israel has been waiting for, for God to send this... Savior who would come and restore Israel to its glory and just be this either a political leader or a military leader. Um, some thought that he was bringing righteousness or peace, but most people really thought he was going to be, they're going to dominate the world again. And so they said, are you, are you that guy? And he's like, no, I'm not that guy. And then they asked him, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. And that's because they, they were holding to these prophecies that said that Elijah would return before the Messiah came. So like, okay, so if you're not the guy we're waiting for, then you must be the guy before the guy. And he's like, no, I'm not the guy before the guy. And they say, are you the prophet? And he says, no, I'm not the prophet. And that's because the the prophecies that they held to said that God would raise up the greatest of all prophets before the Messiah would come. So they're like, so you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, are you the the prophet, are you like the prophet we've been waiting for. And he says, no, I'm not. And it's so simple. It's such a simple thing about his identity where he's like, no, I, I know who I'm not. It's like identity. It's, it's like two sides of, of a coin. And one side of the coin is knowing who you aren't. And he models it so well. Can't, can't you just imagine people were coming to him and they were like, hey, we we kind of watching your... your ministry and you're baptizing people and stuff and like, we think you might be the Messiah. Are you the Messiah? It took a lot of, a lot of humility and a lot of solid sense of identity to say, no, I'm not him. Because who wouldn't want to be like a celebrity for a little while? Who wouldn't maybe jump at the chance and be like, I don't know, maybe I am. But he's like, no, I know, I know exactly who, who I'm not. And that's such an important thing for us to always know who we aren't. And parents, listen to me. You you need to know who you are not in relation to your kids. You are not your kids' savior. And you're probably like, oh, I know that. I know that. No, no, no. I'm not even talking about like saving them, like in a sense of like the salvation of their souls. I'm talking about you're not their like you're not their everything in life kind of savior. You're not their fixer. You're not their healer. You're not their shepherd. You're not their, the fountain. You're not the source of all goodness and everything. You're not God to them. But you're going to want to be, aren't you? You want, you want that so much. That, that tie that you have to them, you're going to want to be their everything. And they're going to want you to be their everything sometimes. They're going to want Dad to make it better. They're going to want Mom to help and to fix it. And they're going, to, they're going to want some of that stuff. And there's a part of you that's going to want to give them something that they're asking for that's not in your wheelhouse. It's not who you are. I'm not saying if your kid comes in and they're crying and they, and they want to jump up in your lap, you'd be like, nope, it's not what I'm here to do, kid. Oh, you, you do that. You you be with them, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those deeper things. I'm talking about the the kind of person that you want them to be. I'm talking about those deep deep ways where they're looking for they're looking for their creator. And you're the closest thing that they have, especially when as when they're real little and they start to get older and older. You're the closest thing that they have and you need to play that role, but you don't need to overplay that role. You need, to, you need to bring them up in your lap with you and know that your presence with them is ministering to their souls and to their hearts and that that is supposed to be this reminder that God is near to them as well, that God is is compassionate with them as well. That God cares when they fall and they like scrape up their knee. He cares about them when they fail a test. He cares about them when they got broken up with. He cares about all those things, right? He cares about them and you're there to play a role, but it's got to be the right role. You have to know the story well enough to know where you fit into it. And Grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and community group people and church members, we got to know the same thing. We have to know exactly where in the story we fit in because if we don't know the story and we don't know where we fit into it, we don't know what our role is supposed to be, we're going to overcorrect and we're going to try to be God for people because we all have this Messiah complex in us. And as someone who's not a parent, I cannot imagine how difficult that must be to, to let it let the parenting role play the right amount of weight and be able to discern that. It's got to be difficult. And that's why only Jesus knows how to help you play the role in the right way at the right time and let it morph over time as they grow up. So you have to know who you are not. John the Baptist here in the story, he refuses to let the people force him into a role he's not supposed to play. And as your kids, are, they start off small, right, and they get bigger and they get bigger, you're going to have to refuse to let them or yourself force yourself into a role you're not supposed to play. And that might not make a lot of sense right now. Okay? That's why I'm, there's a second point. The second point is that John the Baptist, he knew who he wasn't, but he also knew exactly who he was. So they go on and they're asking him some questions and so they're like okay, so if you're not these people then who are you? And look at what he says um, in verse 23. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. I'm the one who's crying out in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. The other side of the identity coin is There's one side of it is know who you aren't, and the other side is know who you are. And so John the Baptist understood the story, and he understood his job was to come before the Messiah and get everyone's attention to point them to him, Jesus. He knew his job was not to get everyone's attention focused on John the Baptist. It was to get everyone's attention and then redirect it to Jesus. I don't know how familiar you are with the history of hip hop. Uh, I'm clearly an aficionado in the in the subject. Actually, I've read up more than a, more than you would maybe think, and I learned something several years ago. And I keep I've just kept reading because reading on it because I'm very fascinated by it. But as a child of the '80s, I remember the first time I ever heard a rap album, and it was the Beastie Boys. Licensed to Ill, and I—it was, it was like something came alive in me. I was like, I've never heard anything that's this much fun in my whole life. Like, I don't know what it was. It was magical. And the '80s just had this explosion of of hip hop, and you had these—you had rap duos and this whatever—and you had a DJ who's in the back of the stage with the like the the turntables and stuff, and they all kind of worked together as a group, and since, like, as things have morphed, it's moved away from the DJ being a part of things. He's just kind of, like, in the background, or not even there sometimes. And it's all been all about the rappers. And so now you know all these rappers' names, but you don't know who's making the music. It ain't them. i break it to you. And so it's all these other people in the studios and all these other places that are creating the music that the rappers are rapping to. And turns out if you back up into the, like, the end of the 70s, the DJs, the guys at the turntable, they were the star of the show. And so they would be on the stage and they would have their turntables and you have a whole room full of people that are dancing and stuff and they were driving the energy of the room to dance and have fun, all that kind of stuff. And, and they would switch from one song to the next and everyone would go crazy and it was all about how awesome the DJ was. The rappers started off as just the guys, they're called the MCs, and so all their whole job was to basically keep, pointing back to the DJ about how amazing he is. So you had the DJ who was the focal point. You had the MC who was just pointing and be like, isn't he awesome? You know, but in rhymes. Uh, isn't he awesome? And the MC would work the crowd up to focus on how amazing the DJ was and how brilliant he was at getting the room where it needed to go. And that was the point of the MC. And then the MC started to get more creative. And they started to come up with rhymes and then all this kind of stuff. And they kind of had personas of their own. And then everybody started saying, I mean, the DJ is cool, but the MC, like, he's really good. I like him. And then that kind of became a thing. And so you have shifted from the focus being the DJ to the focus being both of them to the focus being just the MC. And now the DJs are like, what's the point? Um, Now, this is a super random example that, you know, I'm not sorry for it because I think that this is the danger that we run into when God is supposed to be the most like important thing that everything is pointing to. We sang about creation. We sang about the cross. We sang about eternity. Our whole lives, everything is supposed to be pointing to Jesus. John the Baptist is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not here to point to me. I'm here to point everyone to him. Over time, it's easy to become like the MCs, To start to like some of the attention. And let the art form, the, the art form develops and the DJs are an afterthought. And you end up with God not playing the role in the family or the community or the city or the nation or the world that he's supposed to play because, like us, we kind of like the attention. We kind of like um, becoming little celebrities. We kind of like being God. We kind of like being idols. And John the Baptist was like, no, 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 no. no. That's not going to happen here. He knew his role, and his role was to just redirect everyone to Jesus and as parents, as your children develop and they get older and they start to hear and, and, and hear things about the Lord and, and, and they 're experiencing life and they 're starting to to go to school or play sports and they 're starting to do all these kinds of things and they 're getting to the point where they 're cognitively able to understand more and more and more and more, you have to be very, very careful in how you redirect them to Jesus and don 't let them like make you play the role that he's supposed to play. You got to know who you are and you got to know who you are not. As a parent, your life is is an, an ever increasing job of redirection and pointing to Jesus. And it's really hard to do when they're this big, right? That's fine. Don't worry about it then. You pray for them, you know, you love them, you take care of them. There's going to come a point, ask all these parents around here who have kids that are Getting taller and getting older, at some point they're going to be like, "Hey, uh, why why does this happen? Or why do we do this? Or what about this? And what about this one about this?" And they're going to start pelting you with questions and questions and questions. And you, as a parent, you are a steward of these kids made in the image of God, created for His glory, and they're looking to you. And you can have a John the Baptist moment where they're like, "So are you?" Are you going to heal this? Are you going to fix this? Are you going to speak to this? Are you going to guide me through this? And there are, there's going to come that point where you have to say, you know what? No. Let's, let's talk about redirecting you to the God who is really the one that you need. Now, you still might not be tracking with me, and that's fine. If you know who you are and you know who you are not, it's because you understand the story arc and you know the role that you fit into it. Let me give you a couple of examples real quick before we we, uh, close in song. Here's a couple of ways where I think this fleshes out. Maybe as I go through some examples, maybe it'll make sense. When something really good happens... And your kids, your kids are, are, like I said, they're cognitively, like intelligently able to kind of understand some stuff. Something good happens to your family. Something good happens in their life. Don't take credit for it. Be, be ready to redirect the credit to where it's supposed to be. When something bad happens to them or happens in your family, don't say, oh, well, don't worry about that, kid. You don't need to worry about that right now. And they're asking questions, you're like, oh, I don't know. Let them see you give God the credit for the good stuff, and let them see you ask God for help in the bad stuff. That's redirecting. That's knowing who you are not and knowing who you are. That you are John the Baptist. You are preparing the way. Like that, that meant when a, when a king was coming into a city, they would send a crew out that would go, and they would smooth out the road. So the, as the king came into the town, it would say, "Hey, we're ready for you. We're prepared for you." And they were this intentionality of receiving the king into the city. You go to a wedding, and and there's this you know tradition where where you know these cute little kids walk down the aisle, and they throw petal, like rose petals everywhere. And sometimes there's like a runner that's dragged out, and it's because you're preparing the way for someone that's to come. And so you're preparing the way for your kids. That there's this point where you're it's coming, and they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, "Why did this happen?" And they need to hear you say, I just, I don't know. This world is broken. That's why it happened. We need God's help. They need to hear you say that. They don't need a rational explanation all the time. You know, they don't, they don't need some of those things that you're going to want to give them, but in the end, is that training them? Is that preparing the way for them? Is that redirecting them? Or when they get ready for it, maybe you just need to tell them, like, you know what, Dad asks the same things. You know what, Mom, Mom has the same questions sometimes. God knows the answers, so let's let's just ask Him for help, and you stop and you you pray with them. Think about what that trains them. That trains them in knowing, hey, guess what, Mom and Dad are not ultimate. Mom and dad are not perfect. Mom and dad are not God. They're not infinitely wise. Mom and dad have limits. Because there's going to come a point when they're going to realize mom and dad have limits, right? Yeah, it's coming. And if they've been taught to be redirected to the infinite one, then they're not surprised when dad has a bad day and loses his cool. They're like, well, dad has struggles too. They're not shocked by those things. And so if there's redirection happening, something good happens and you're like, man, let's, let's, let's thank God for this. If something bad happens, you say. Let's ask God for help with this. Praying with them is amazing. Pray with them. They're going to learn to pray by hearing you pray. That's how they'll know. They're not going to learn to pray coming into church and hearing this guy pray. It's not going to happen. Now, I think they pick up on some stuff. Don't get me wrong. But they will learn to pray the way that you pray. They're going to hear you. They're going to mimic you. You ever heard a kid pray, and at the end they say, Jesus' name, amen. you think they know what that means? No. But that's how everyone else closes their prayers, right? So they imitate it. You're redirecting them. Praying with them and for them is amazing. Let me encourage you to try this. Include your kids in the things that you're praying for. Like If your family is like trying to discern something, trying to make a decision, uh, you need something, uh, something good has happened, something bad has happened, whatever, include your kids in it, even if they don't understand what's going on. Here's an example. Right now, our church is praying for the next couple weeks about starting a mission church in Zachary. People in Zachary, get your kids together in your house as a community group, whatever, and say, this is what we're praying about. And don't worry about, do they understand? Do they mean it? Is it sincere? Whatever. Doesn't matter. Say, this is what our family is. We're trying to hear God speak to us and say, you know, one way or the other. That kind of thing. And they might fidget. They might fall asleep. It may be a, like 12-second prayer. Whatever. Those kids are being redirected and understanding, like, the families are not deciding this. The church is not deciding this. Jesus is deciding this. And so we're going to ask him. It's training them up. It's redirecting them. It's cultivating something deep in them. It's knowing the role in the story, and knowing knowing like where your children are in their developmental stages, and saying, "I'm just gonna, we're going to redirect them to Jesus as, as early as we can and as often as we can." So include them in the things that you're praying for. Humble yourself if you. If dad comes home has a bad day and just loses it, sit your kids down, confess it, apologize to them, bring them into your own brokenness, bring them into your bad day. It teaches them, it teaches them the deep things. It redirects them. And knowing you know who never has a bad day, God, God never has a bad day. God never loses his cool like dad did today, like mom did today. Tell them that you're sorry. You ever had your parents confess something to you and tell you you're sorry? I mean, it goes so far. It shapes something in them that's so important. You don't have to be the hero. Like, you just, you can't. That's not what you're supposed to do. There's one hero in the story, and it's not dad, it's not mom. Just one. Submit to authority. Like, let your kids see you submitting. Whether that's at work, whether that's a government thing, whether that's the Bible, whether that's the church, whether that's the family, however that works. They need to understand that we're under this covering. That parents, you don't get to just go do whatever you want to do. Your kids need to see that. That sometimes submission is joyful and it's easy and sometimes it's just terrible, you know. But they need to understand that. These are all kinds of things, working on your marriage, equipping your kids, not just instructing them. Not just telling them how to think about something, but helping them learn to think. Those are different. When you know your role, you're like, okay, this is what I'm here to do. And then, as your kids grow older, you say, okay, our role is changing. It's morphing. It's, it's becoming something that it used to not be. So we used to, we used to handle things like this one way, and now we're going to handle it this way because our kids are getting older, and they're able to grasp more, and Hopefully, they get to be teenagers, you know, and they, you know, maybe they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they, they get dumped and they're sad, but they're not destroyed because their identity has been founded in something that is indestructible, you know. The grades, yeah, you, you want to make good grades, you want to work hard and, and all that kind of stuff, but like sometimes you just do bad on tests and it's not the end of the world for your kids to get to the point where you're like, man, that's, that's a bummer because I worked hard on that. But they're not just like a puddle on the ground, you know, just like freaking out because their identity is not found in that. It's found in the right things. You know, I can keep going and going and going, and I kind of would like to, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up here. Um, those kinds of things. That's what I'm talking about by redirection. Is as your kids grow up, you're you're in touch with where they are developmentally, and you're able to say, uh, all right, we need to start. We need to start explaining some more things. We need to start praying differently. We need to start answering some questions uniquely. Um, we, there's a, there comes a point here at, at Living Hope when when kids they're they're stop they're stop stop being over there in the nursery and stuff during the service and they're in here and and we uh, normally we take communion every week and uh, you have kids who are like they're, they they want to take it you know they're like can I can I you know can I go down there too and and parents are always every single parent struggles with like at what point is it okay for your kid to get in the communion line and take the body and the blood of Jesus like at what point does that happen you know. And me, I'm like, as soon as they want to do it, go for it. You know? If fully understanding communion is a requirement to take it, no one would ever take it. You know? They're like, no, this is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. And their understanding will deepen and it will grow. And it, but if you don't know the role in the story, and you're, you're letting them make you into God, or you're making yourself into God, and you're playing this weird role, you're going to end up like those MCs who have eventually pushed the DJs right out of the business. And that's not who you want to be. We should all know who Grandmaster Flash is. But we don't, and that's a tragedy. And at the end of the day, you want your kids to know the goodness of Jesus. They came to John the Baptist in this story, and they said, Hey, are you this guy? And he said, No, I'm not the guy, but I know who the guy is, and that's who you need. He's like, You don't need me. You need you need him. That's why he says, as he closes him out... He, he said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He's saying, Look, if you think, you think I'm something, you ought to see this guy. You ought to see him. He's who you need. And parents, extended family, community group, church family, that's what we are for everyone around us. We're saying, You know what you really need? You need him. Do you even know how great he is? Do you even know how good he is? Do you even know his grace? Do you even, if you had a clue, oh man, it's going to be amazing. He's the best. That's, that's what we're going for, is you want your kids to love you as dad, as mom, as grandma and grandpa, and whatever their title is, whatever you're, you want them to love you so, so, so much. But you want them to know without a doubt, the grace and the love of Jesus, the infinitely beautiful Redeemer. That's what we're going for, right? And we, that's what we all put our hands in the middle, but that's what we want those kids to know. We don't ever want them to doubt that. We don't ever want them to to wonder that. Even though they're going to have their doubts and they're going to have their stuff, we want them to go through that stuff. But you know what I'm saying? You want them to be these trees where their roots are going like just so far deep into those things that. As they grow up and and the, the storms come and life gets crazy and they get beat up a little bit, they're not toppling over because their roots are so strong. So they can go through their stuff and it's fine. Because Jesus wins. So that's what we're about here at Living Hope. That's what we're about as a church, as community groups. That's what we are about as parents and as friends and as everything is that's what god has for us i'm so glad that you guys are here with us tonight and um we're just going to sing a song we're going to be done if that's all right with you so if you would stand the band's going to come back and um i want to pray for us thanks for putting up with my random analogies and Jesus, uh, I'm so grateful, just so grateful that uh, that we can literally know you, that every one of us in this room doesn't have to be separate from you because of sin and death and all this the ridiculousness of this world, that you have made a way for us to know you and Thank you that we can know the story, and we've sung the story, we've talked about the story, we're a part of the story. And when we know who you are, then it helps us to know who we are and who we are not. It sounds so simple. We just need your help um, at all times. And so we thank you, we love you.